1: I am well. Uh, This is uh, episode four of the Keith Walsh podcast. Oh my god, we're at episode four already. My, how time has flown. I'm sitting up in my room. Charlie's downstairs. Charlie's the dog, by the way. And uh, my family are downstairs. And also, I kind of have the window of the upstairs room slightly ajar and there's the noise of kids playing outside. And I feel like it's kind of sunny outside as well today, even though it is... As we go to press, uh, it is 28th of the 9th. So it's September, almost October. The sun is shining and the kids are out playing. And I feel like the kid who has to do his homework while everybody's outside playing. (laughs) So you can feel sorry for me. That's okay. Uh, The email address is keithwalchpod at gmail.com. If you want to send a request, a shout out, um, thoughts, letters. I could be like an agony uncle, so if you wanted to run something past me, if you had any issues with anybody and you wanted to see if maybe I could help, you can email me keithwalchpod at gmail.com, absolutely no problem. Uh, there's another episode coming out at the same time, but you can check on the list of episodes. If you go to episode 5, it's my chat with my friend Mike and uh, you can check in with my friend Mike and myself talking about... Well, Mike was basically talking about an English guy who went to Clare and built stuff and made life better for the people of Clare um, in the 1800s. So you can listen to that, and he has another celebrity encounter tale. I think it's the one where he went shopping with members of the band The Cult. It's quite interesting. Uh, so that's episode five and of course the other episodes we have episode two which was tig and derry fleming then uh we had another we have another chat with my friend mike which is episode one and we had a chat with vicky feeling which is episode three so if this is your first time listening you could listen to them all and rate them and subscribe and uh that would be good for me because it'd get me up the charts um Right, okay, let's crack on with today's interview. The the way I'm trying to work this is that I have one episode uh, come out every week that is just me and Mike chatting uh, about whatever we want, and then I have one episode come out the same day, which is me interviewing somebody that I find interesting. And I'm just trying to have uh, real conversations with real people about real things. That's the idea, and today is no exception. I'm talking to a young man And you might know him if you are a fan of his comedy sketches. He has a character called Farmer Michael, uh, who's very ranty. Very ranty. He rants about everything. He's not very PC, and he says the wrong thing. And he says the wrong thing on purpose, because um, he's a character. And it's a way of showing another side of an opinion, and possibly the opinion that maybe a farmer from Ireland might have. Um maybe a slightly uh, uninformed opinion. And that's the point of the character. Steve-O does get a bit of stick for it because I think people see it as, you know, if he's being racist or if if he's being homophobic, that that's Steve-O being racist or homophobic. And he's not. He's just showing something. It's a comedy character. Um, so Sir Steve-O Timothy, comedian, actor, supermodel, it says here on twitter ambassador for the irish wheelchair association and he's an author as well and he's a very interesting guy and he's a very interesting life um he did the day i was about to put this out so today uh, he released a statement on his twitter so i had to contact him and say steve are you okay with me putting this episode out he said he was and i said look it, i'll read out some of your statement so that people know where you're coming from and where you're at at the moment so this is some of the statement from steve-o today on his twitter he says hi all i've been contemplating this for a while now and i have come to the heart-wrenching decision to pull back from doing what i do for a while my life has been turned upside down recently and i just don't have the heart to do it at this moment in time i've tried my best to carry on but i'm finding it difficult beyond my capacity i just can't bring the passion i used to be able to Uh, I'm feeling lost and completely without direction. I don't know what to do with my life. My depression and anxiety has reached levels I thought unreachable. I can't do this alone. I'm Laurel without Hardy. I've become a shadow of what I used to be, alone and lost. And he continues uh, with the statement. And you can read the full statement if you follow him on Twitter. Sir Steve O. Timothy. At Sir Steve O. Timothy. I did contact him. He was kind enough to allow me to um, put this episode out. And I think... There's a lot of stuff in this there's a lot about you know how he dealt with setbacks and how he's always dealing with anxiety and stress and trying to become a better person and uh yeah have a listen to it i think you'll enjoy it it's real it is real it's a real conversation and he doesn't hold back he's very honest um and very vulnerable as well so uh I'll be back after this to have a little bit of a chat and wrap up, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode four of the Keith Walsh podcast with Sir Stevo Timothy. Enjoy. Recording everything. I'm just going to close. But just give me a second there, Stevo. Oh, yeah. Right, good. This is um, this is great. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this. You're very good. No is problem at all. No problem at all. I feel like you've a lot on, on your mind at the moment, so I didn't know whether, I kind of, part yeah, of
0: me felt, all over the place for the last month, yeah, so I'm I, just getting out of that, that horrible, horrible abyss, so I'm back to myself, getting back to myself.
1: Part of me felt like this, when I, because I follow you on Twitter, um, and, and to be honest with you, I'm only a recent, a recent follower, uh, so, I, I, so I have a lot to learn, this will be a sort of a little bit of a... Scandal, thing. scandal. A little bit of a getting to know. I I I know for a fact that you would be happy today because Everton won yesterday, so I know that. Oh much. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that is that is an incredible start to the season. That's 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 great. I mean, it's I was I was upset for the young um, Doherty fella for not getting his his debut goal, but you know it's good to see. Ah, look, good to see. Look, he's win. gone
0: to he's gone to one of the big six, so he'd be delighted, and it's good for Ireland. So it's it's
1: good all the way. It's all good. Um. So let me see. So so I contacted you uh, probably about a week ago. You were very good, good and quick to get back. And I thought, in my head, I was thinking, this might be a good time to have a chat with Steve-O. Can I call you Steve-O? Is that all right? You can, of course, yeah. That's what everyone else calls me. Because, um, I don't know. Like, you're going to have to sort of take me through the, everything. I mean, we might just start at the start. But, but I'll tell you my reasoning for getting in touch with you. I was... I started following you and then I realized, uh, I became aware of this thing you're going to do. First of all, I didn't know that you used clutches and you, you were in a wheelchair, so you're going to have to explain some of that to me. But yeah. I, I, yeah. Did, I did become aware that you were uh, taking on a challenge, which we will get into, uh, and everything yeah. was building up towards this challenge, as far as I could see. And I've been in yeah. this position myself before. so. I kind of have some sort of knowledge or feeling for what was happening, but I, I, I don't I don't know. You're going to have to tell me. But there was a build-up to this challenge. And then this challenge, oh, yeah. this challenge happened, and you did it, and fair play to you, and we, we'll, we'll get to all that. And what happened? And then it, it just it seemed to be... Was it something to do with the challenge, and everything seemed to change in your life then?
0: Uh, it was more so... Uh, I suppose when that when that was uh, even the morning after that ended I felt like I had no goals anymore and Mm -hmm. all the shows were postponed or cancelled and I just felt like I didn't really want to do this anymore or I was questioning my ability to do it or did I have love for it did I still have the passion I had for it at the beginning because doing a character a character will die a character has a very short half-life you know so characters die i've other characters as well and like i do the michael character and he was my least favorite to do at the beginning but he ended up the most popular Mm. and i see now why he did but i still don't i like playing him but i don't like playing him at the same time if you get me you really have to be in the mood to give your all to the character
1: So that's a good, I think that's a very good opening sentence statement from you. And I think this will people would be intrigued. So take us back, Steve-O, to before the characters and the social media presence and Farmer Michael and all that kind of stuff. Where were you? Who's Steve-O? Where were you at? Where are you from? All that kind of stuff.
0: I'm from uh, an area known as Westside in Galway. It's kind of a large estate area known for its uh joy riding back in the days and antisocial behaviour. It's a bit better now, thank God. So uh yeah, so I grew up here and had a normal normal family life, normal normal school life. I was the messer, of course. Quite obvious I would have been the class clown and looking for attention. So uh yeah, I ended up getting expelled from school in fourth year. And then I kinda lost my direction for a while and was drinking and doing other Illegal activities, shall we say? Yeah, and uh, at about 18, I went to jail. Then, okay, hang on, I on. Got all the-
1: don't just uh-huh? say, just don't you can't just brush over this. I went to jail at 18 and and move on. It wasn't for anything
0: horrible, it was for unpaid fines. So, if you don't pay okay. the fines in a certain time, you get like you know, two months or a month or three months or whatever. So, yeah, that was it. that was. That's what it was for, just like drunken and disorderly and stupid things like not obeying a guard or telling them to f off or something while like they'd be locked, you know. So, hey, yeah, hey, I Steve, oh, hang on
1: because so. you know, we've all been there and, and there, but for the grace of God, go away as well. Can you tell me about how you were feeling? I don't know, there must have been a point in court or whatever when you realized you were going to jail and then going to jail. What did that feel uh, like?
0: I was afraid I suppose More afraid because I had a really bad hangover And I only went to bed at 6 o'clock And they came knocking at like 7 in the morning So I was like Very very like hungover And I was, I was drinking probably for two days So it was like That, that exacerbated the, the, the feelings of fear I suppose But one of the guys in the van was related To A friend of mine up around the back of my estate So I got chatting to him And I was put in with the in the cell with him So it was grand then for me. So it was was kind of quite like an ordinary experience, if you could call it that. Uh, You know, so nothing bad happened or nothing. I wasn't threatened, nothing. Look, most people in there just want to do their time and get out. And I had nothing in there. So he was the one giving me like cigarettes and stuff because I had nothing. So because he knew me, he kind of looked after me. And everyone thought I was about 16 at the time, even though I was 18. They were, they were like, "How'd you come in? You're only a young fella. And I was like, "No, no, I'm eighty. I just turned 80. So, and I was a small little lad. So, yeah, I think they kind of—your man kind of protected me more than Anthony, you know. Um,
1: right. What were you thinking? What were you thinking about the rest of your life when you How long were you in jail? Uh, about twenty-eight days, four weeks. Right. And what so were you, what, you think, what, what went through your head in twenty-eight days? Or was that, uh, or were you Were you just trying to get back out to go on the lash again?
0: Just trying to get back out Go on the lash As soon as I got out they, I was um, moved from Castlery to Loughnan House Up in Cavan And then when my time was up They gave me a ticket Drove me to the bus station Got the bus back to Galway uh, Rang my friend on the way Told him to get ready Collected them Got a bottle of Buckfast A few cans And went home And that was the norm And that was That was what we did And other friends of mine Went to jail for longer spells And my brother was in prison For a long spells So like everyone in this area, everyone knows kind of someone that's been in jail, or everyone knows someone that's in jail, or that you know is about to be going to jail. You know, so it's kind of normal. It's part of the normal feature. So you don't, which it shouldn't be, and
1: you don't. You know, but, so so sorry to so you, there's no not necessary. Like for me, even thinking about that, and maybe our upbringing was different in that way. Like I I would feel there'd be an immense amount of shame.
0: Uh, There was, because like my dad and my mom, they were very, my dad is a very intellectual and intelligent man. So Mm -hmm. was my mom, but she had early onset dementia and Alzheimer's, so she wasn't in the greatest health, let's say. But my dad always like uh, fed and nurtured and nourished questions that I answered. We would always go to my dad to verify something. You know what I mean? My friends, like, it'd be always, ask Noel, ask Noel, Noel and know. So he was always that kind of way. And I suppose he, we got, I got that thirst from when my sister went on to do a PhD. My brother went to college. I went on to college and done a master's. So that was unusual at the same time in where we grew up and the circumstances that so many of us in the one family went to college. And I have a PhD proposal in as well that was accepted, but I never done it. Because I didn't want to end up being one of those like mental philosophy lecturers roaming the halls talking to myself about Nietzsche and Wittgenstein. So I put that on hold, but I probably will do it eventually when I get around to it. I'd like to go back and do it. It would take an immense amount of work to do it, but I would like to eventually. So you had the kind of clash, you had the kind of clash at the same time. So you had the shame of, yeah, I'm going to jail, but then I kind of redeemed myself by going back to college, going back to an leave insert getting into college, doing my degree and then doing my master's. So it was kind of, you know, we lived in two worlds and we dipped in and out of them, I suppose.
1: Okay, but there must have been something. So what What triggered the going back to school and, and believing certain going to college and all that kind of stuff? What, uh,
0: I, think, I think I went to a guidance counselor that I was sent by like the Joel at the time. And I think he was the first person that when I was talking to him, he said, you, you, you caught me as a, an extremely intelligent young man. And I think what it suits you would be to do your leaving cert. And I said to him, I don't want to go back to school. And he goes, no, it wouldn't be school school. You'd be doing it with other mature students. And I said, yeah, I'll give that a go. And when I went home and I was thinking about it, it was kind of someone actually called me intelligent as opposed to a smart arse or a smart hole. You know, so it was kind of, it was almost like someone had a bit of faith in me, like my dad did all the time, don't get me wrong, but it was someone in kind of in authority that was a part of the state, having a bit of faith in me and calling me intelligent. And that was kind of a nice thing. It was kind of like, hmm, yeah, am I? Yeah, I think I am actually. Like, yeah, I can go back and do my leading sir. So that was kind of what the reasoning behind that, I suppose. It was a nice voice from someone in authority, as simple as that.
1: Yeah. We could all have done with people like that. But Yeah. So so college went well and uh, leaving certain college that was seamless enough and, and
0: Yeah, yeah. There was no no big upsets. I I was a smart ass as well in college. I always questioned the lectures, but isn't that isn't that what you're there for? I ended up doing a master's in philosophy. And that was going well until like the recession hit and all the big philosophy factories closed down. <laughs> you know, so, so, but I, I wanted to go back to college to learn, not for a job. Yeah. Like I, I, it depresses me the way education is these days in college, where they're all tied in a big, huge, like conglomerates like Kerry Group PLC and so on and so forth, KBC and all this. Like you go to college to get a job. I don't like that. I don't like the theory behind it. I don't. I just don't like that. It doesn't sit well with me. You should go to college to learn. It shouldn't be an, a means to an end. You shouldn't have a degree or a, a PhD in chemistry and be working in a bank. It doesn't tie up with... You should have a love for the subject, subject and you should want to continue it. Like I still regularly read philosophy books and keep up to date as much as I can with it, I suppose, and movements within it. Uh,
1: and just a, a little sidebar for a moment. If you were to... Recommend a philosophy book for somebody that might be listening to this, that might be a way of accessing the world of philosophy in in an understandable Uh, way. Is there there a go-to book that you'd be able to recommend? In an
0: understandable way? It'd be probably Sophie's World. Oh, very good. It's a book about a young girl that wanted to learn about philosophy, and her dad uh, basically sends her little, like I think it's like little fairy envelopes. And she slowly sta- she, he slowly starts to reveal the world of philosophy to her. It's almost like a simplified matrix, but more philosophical. But then if you wanted to get, not in depth, but a bit more of what philosophy can be in a practical sense and not just a theoretical nonsense, you know, it'd be Ted Hundrich's Terrorism for Humanity, where he makes the claim that to rely on terrorism as an end goal, is a moral duty. And he makes such a convincing argument for it that it really, really cut me as
1: one of those, like, wow books. Oh, I might, uh, might have to have a look at that myself. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to get, I want to stay too much on the college thing, but I've, for a while I've had a, I started feeling, because my daughter is six year now and I have a son coming up and I presume I feel like I you know, I want them both to go to college, but at the same time I'm not too yeah. bothered if they don't. And at some part of me feels like it's a scam. And I like I definitely with the American model it's a scam because you're stuck, you're stuck with a debt. Everyone has to do it. If you yeah. don't do it, you've no yeah. chance of a job. But you start yeah. off life with a debt. And we're getting close to it here in Ireland. And I, I just Oh yeah, absolutely. I can't help feeling that people are being scammed here in some way. I, I can't yeah. put my finger yeah. on it, you know.
0: Yeah it's it's kind of if i did if i had children now i'd be kind of i'd be kind of i'd be i don't know like what do you do, see do your, you
1: know?
0: yeah do you want like do you want them to get a good job cuz they probably won't without college and at the same time they're not going to learn too much in college about the actual subject itself which is weird so it's 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 a strange uh gray area in between
1: I think my main reasoning behind uh, wanting them to go to college is just for the experience of it. And if they if they end up with a qualification that yeah. actually helps them get a job at the end, of it, that's kind of a bonus, you know. But just to go yeah and experience. Like
0: college it. has become the new secondary school. You're expected to go. Yeah. You know, and you may not like it. Like, I suppose, like I don't know what college was like in years gone by, but the mature students obviously took it a bit more seriously. Than the actual students that were in there, and a lot of the students that were in there, I suppose I went back as a Pakistan mature student as well. So they were kids to me. They just looked lost and hadn't got a clue really. Like, and it was sad to see. They just looked really lost, and they just lived or worked to raise enough money to get their drugs and drink at the end of the week. And it was very depressing. That was it. A- a- and a- and a- like. If we think we have a mental health crisis now in Ireland, Jesus Christ, give it 15, 20 years. You know, it is going to be insane.
1: The, the The shocking thing for me is for young people, and I think the thing that hits them hardest is that they work, a lot of them will work and struggle to work and work hard to get that leaving cert, get that leaving cert, get that college place, get to college, and then bang, they're back at the bottom again, having to work their way up. And it's I, I, yeah. think, I yeah. think psychologically that that, that could be... That's hard, you know, to, to work so yeah. hard to, to get to the top, to get everything that everybody wants you to get. Your parents to keep get, get them happy, and then straight away, in the matter of two months, you're right back at the start again.
0: Yeah, that's one thing. I was ne- my dad was never with us. He there was never pressure, but there was there was positive reinforcement. It was never negative. It was always positive reinforcement. The negative was just uh, being distant, as opposed to punishing. But there was always, if you'd done something well, you were punished, or punished for it. You were <laughs> yeah. praised for it. Yeah. So then you were almost un, more unlikely to do something because, as we said, the kind of sense of shame of having the guards called to the door or having the guards come giving a warrant to your dad at the doorstep. As opposed to if my dad just battered me and we got it over and done with, like a lot of other people around. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because then they seem to rebel more and they seem to be not give a shit less, or
1: not, not give a shit more, you know. So, of course, yeah. I think I think there's one thing we've learned as well is that violence against children does not work. Yeah, it, it yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't work yeah. doing what it's supposed to do, and it doesn't work in the long yeah. term. bullies are bully.
0: Happy people don't. Happy people don't bully people. Happy people don't tear people down. You know, happy kids don't do things to other kids. You know. It's true, it's true, man. Um, unless they're in a group now, unless they're in a group, but then you're going into group psychology and stuff like that's that. A, that's, so that's, a, a whole,
1: that's a whole, whole
0: different conversation.
1: Yeah. So college, you got through college and yeah. so, so, and that was okay. And what, but what happened after college? Uh, well, my accident was before college. Okay, so tell me what happened with that.
0: Uh, the night I finished my last exam for my leave cert, I was drinking. And like an absolute idiot, I went out on my motorbike and ended up crashing. And I broke my neck and my back and a few other bones, but they were only minor bones compared to the spine. So I was left uh, with incomplete paraplegia. So I had limited sensation from the chest down. I was fully paralyzed at the start. So uh, yeah, that was scary, scary to understate it.
1: Yeah, because it's just yeah. I mean, you talking about going to college and being a mature student. I don't know why I didn't didn't picture you doing it in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair, uh, for for some reason. Um, At the the start, I went in crutches, and the girl—I
0: forget her name now—but she was part of the disability services thing, and she kept coming up to me saying, "Like, look, you're going to need a PA and stuff," and I was like, "No, no." And then I eventually have, had to start using the wheelchair because my I wasn't able to walk to the lectures properly and stuff and I'd have to sit down and I was getting out of breath and that made me feel panicky because I, I suffer from panic disorder. So that was, it was worse. And then one day she seen me on with the wheelchair and trying to open a door with a tray of food on me. And she was like, Steve, will you just come down to my office? We have to get you a PA. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. So I, I ended up being forced to take a PA despite my stubbornness. So... But that opened my eyes to a lot because he was really good and he was really, he did a master's in English. So it helped me because I was able to write, but my grammar was absolutely shit. The whole your, your, your thing was meaningless to me. you know, it, but I was able to write, I was able to speak, I was able to talk, but I, my grammar was crap. So he taught me just basically the basics again that I had forgotten from like
1: third year. And PA, for anybody who doesn't know, is just an assistant basically, but so how did you, what was your, were you, did you keep drinking after the accident?
0: No, I gave it up for a while and then I went drinking a few times intermittently on and off. Right, okay. So what did but you do? But I went, what, what? I like I was always a binge drinker. I wouldn't have said I drank all the time. Mm. But I was a binge drinker. I wouldn't drink for a while and then i go drink for three or four days straight. And I would drink a lot, like a hell of a lot. I, would be, I wouldn't wake up hungover. I'd wake up still drunk and then go drinking again.
1: And then you would feel, then you'd have about two weeks of feeling absolute oh, yeah. shame. Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: The phone rang on the third day. I'd jump out of bed, never mind the first day. The first day I was intentionally making myself get sick so I could control the panic. And like trying to monitor every breath and count the seconds between breaths and stuff like that to make sure that I'm breathing and hold my nostril open to reassure my brain that I'm getting enough oxygen and my I'm not actually suffocating. It was, it was hell. But I lived that life all the time, and I lived hiding panic disorder for most of my teenage years. So when I went drinking, I felt normal. I felt like what I thought normal people felt like. I could go into a shop and not be monitoring the exits or who's there or how long it would take me to get home to my safe zone. So I thought that that's how a normal adult felt. So when I drank, I felt what I considered normal. I didn't have to do all these counting things. I didn't have to do all this self-monitoring. I didn't have to monitor my heartbeat. I didn't have to monitor escape routes and how I'd get out of place really fast if I felt panicky. So you can see how I could end up being dr- drinking in the first place.
1: Yeah, it was it was it was good self-medication if 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 you could have, if, yeah, if it was exacerbated
0: in the long run. Yeah, but those few hours or days of feeling non-panicky, depressed, were glorious,
1: absolutely glorious. Yeah, and probably a much-needed break, and you know, yeah, from, yeah, from, it was from, from the reality. Because I yeah, I, I, yeah. I haven't had a drink. I stopped drinking at the start of this year, and. Maybe similarly to yourself, I don't know that I that my anxiety or panic would have been at your level, but I definitely used I medicated with drink, um, and in that it gave me whatever I was, whatever I whatever it took to get me through the week. And I still haven't quite took, put my finger on it because I'm still in therapy and I'm still trying to figure out whatever energy yeah. it took me and why, why why I needed that amount of energy to get through the week and to 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 get on with normal life like everybody else. I needed that break at the weekend. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I would drink Friday night, Saturday night. I wouldn't drink Sunday because I'm working Monday. But yeah. I need, I, needed, I needed that break. And, and Sunday yeah. would have been horrific. And Monday would have been hard. And then as the week went on, it would have got better. And then it's almost, Friday, I'd have a drink. It's almost symptomatic of modern
0: society. That we, like, don't get me wrong. Humans throughout evolution have always... Has, have always discovered drugs or hallucinogens or whatever to be as a religious experience or as a break from reality. Because I suppose when we developed consciousness, we we developed a sense of in, the impending doom of death, that we will die, that our, our, our sense of mortality, that we're not going to live very long. And I suppose the stresses of normal social life, and especially when societies got closer together and we started living in cities and, we almost you crave that escape because life is mundane at best. We sugarcoat it when we look back at our childhood, but I spent most of my childhood being bored out of my tits. To be brutally honest, I was. But even looking back at them times, being bored now, I consider them really, really happy memories. You know that kind of way. So, yeah, like, we crave this we crave escape.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's just, just I. Think, I, I tried writing down this. I kind of I journal every morning. That's one of the ways that I now deal with the day and and whatever's going on in my head. So I journal every morning. I was, yeah. trying to, I was trying to describe where my life was at. So and, and everybody's life is like this. So you're always you're living. You know you you know it's it's the classic living for the weekend, looking yeah, yeah. Looking, looking forward to the holiday. Looking forward yeah. to the, the bank holiday. Looking forward to Christmas. Looking forward to this. Looking the next to- wedding or, yeah, an excuse to go drinking again. The wedding
0: or the christening or the communion or, you know, it's for the day out. But that day out can be rewarding and can be immensely pleasurable without alcohol or drugs. It literally can. It takes a while to get used to it. But I'm used to it now. I can go out and have like, like I'd be panicky if I had, like I couldn't go into town now in a taxi. And go into some place, that is a no-no because right. then I'm trapped. Mm. I'd have to have my car with me, and I'd have to have the car near to the door as well. That's that's a that's a that's a vital requirement. So I'm still at that level, but I could go into the place and knowing that the car is there and that I can escape, I'd be a lot more relaxed. And I can sit there with the lads; they can be drinking, one or two of them could be pissed. I'm drinking tea, still having great crap. But it took me a while to learn that. I I ran away from that for a while because I wouldn't go out because the temptation was always there. Then, and well, given that I'd have my car outside, the temptation would be even greater than that if I did have four, five, six, seven that I'd drive home.
1: Okay. Yeah. If yeah, if you went past the two, you wouldn't get in the car after two, but you might after seven. <laughs> I know that
0: yeah. You. Oh, without a doubt. And me drinking, like I'm self-destructive at the best of times. I would do it. And I would hit anyone that got in my way, even from the wheelchair.
1: What did you? What helped you give up the booze? And what are you doing to deal with the anxiety? And and like where? Because because I I'm getting the sense that you're that you have. I mean we we we'll we'll talk about your more recent uh, the last few weeks and what's gone on there. But but in general, you seem to be, you were becoming more content in what you in your skin, or or were you? Yeah, I, I suppose I of, just or? got. I got
0: used to myself, I suppose. I got used to who I am. And I accepted that maybe I'm an anxious person. Mm -hmm. And I accepted that maybe that is normal. Maybe this is my normal. This is me. I can lessen the effects of it. I can lessen its incursion into my normal everyday life. But I can also accept that maybe I am just a nervous, anxious person. And that maybe this is just me and get used to it and learn. I know every safety behavior is a contradiction because it strengthens the amount of uh, the amount of anxiety because you're you're reiterating to your brain that there is something to worry about. You know, like there's a thing in psychology called flooding where I should basically get a taxi into a square and just get out in the middle of a square and sit there and deal with it. You know everything, throw everything at me, to make me so anxious that I have a panic attack, and then have a counselor with me or whatever. But I, I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd probably end up punching people. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing counseling now at the moment. I take, I take Xanax, but I, as required. So I try not to take too many of them because, but I've been on them since I was about eighteen. So I've never like gotten to the state, thankfully, where I had to depend on them all the time. Like for a few years there before I got panicky recently, I'd always have just one Xanax in my wallet. And knowing that was there was almost reassuring in itself. I didn't need to take it. It was just there in my wallet for about three, four years.
1: And how was your, was there side effects with the Xanax? Was your sleep okay? Were you like, was it, was no, Was it a medical really. tablet or?
0: No, no. I found it very hard to take at a time of panic because for me to put something in my mouth and try and swallow it and take a drink of water during the middle of one of my panic attacks is, is nearly impossible. Like I had a panic attack in Dublin that ironically and paradoxically, the panic attack was so bad that I wanted to start the car and kill myself. But the panic attack was so bad and my my legs were shaking so much because of it. I couldn't start the car. So I couldn't kill myself due to the panic attack that I wanted to escape from by killing myself. So (laughs) there was that whole like thing going on in my head and the panic attack lasted about two hours. And I remember talking to my doctor and I was down with my doctor last week and he goes, uh, he just said it again to me to kind of reiterate, he goes like, you do realize that that was probably one of the most uh, strongest panic attacks I've ever come across in my career so far. So it was kind of, the, the fear is always there that you will have a panic attack like that again and mm. that I'll have, like if I've had that one, could I also have one that's worse? So that's always in the back of your mind that what I have, I I even call it my Dublin one, the one I had in Dublin, the Dublin one. And I wasn't like, I wasn't, ang- I wasn't particularly anxious about it. I just, see with panic disorder, it's not, it's not tied to any specific event. It's not like I get social anxiety so I can not be around social situations. I can be watching FBI files at half three in the morning, and I could have a major panic attack. Or I could be just about to go on stage to 600 people and have a major panic attack. There's no, there's no It's obviously deeper inside me than an actual environmental factor.
1: So how do you deal with it if you are about like, to go on stage? So, so like obviously if you're in a situation where you're just in the car or whatever you can just I mean obviously it's it sounded like an horrendous experience but you don't have to then go out and how do you manage it if you go out on stage? What What do you do?
0: I we just get me out on stage as quick as possible and within about five to seven seconds it's gone.
1: Okay yeah, yeah I get that.
0: Yeah. Because you're in character you're now Michael people are responding people are cheering You forget it, Mm -hmm. and sometimes as well, my panic attack lesson. Like I'll sit in the car while everyone else is in the green room, but some fans will spot me and come over for selfies and things. But I'll be in a really panicky state, but just the very, the very point of talking to them and getting a selfie with them and hearing their stories and things removes the panic attack. Because I know myself that I should just go into the green room and talk with, uh, you know. Or co comedians or whatever. But to do that when you're feeling in that state is a very hard thing to do. And especially then with the, with the weakness in my legs, they would shake a lot. Sometimes I can't even walk. One day we were doing the Southport Comedy Festival and I was sitting in the car and my panic was so bad that I couldn't, I literally couldn't walk. I, I can't walk at the best of times anyway, but I literally couldn't move with the crutches. So the, ga- the guys had to break the head, the top of the table, get duct tape and make a wheelchair ramp. And then uh, Johnny Johnny Graham, or like, uh, uh, oh, names escaped me. Comedian that goes on before us, whatever. Uh, our support. He, uh, he basically pushed me in, and pushed me up, and pushed me on stage. And that was it. Just get me on stage. I can't breathe, I'm suffocating, I'm going to die, I need to ring an ambulance, but get me on stage. Just get me on stage, and it'll go, and it'll dissipate. Jeez. And people wonder, like, how the hell do you end up doing something like this? And I always say to them, I don't know how the hell. I find it, like, because I only, even at the best of times, I only have to do that maybe at most three, four times a week. I'd find my life harder dealing with panic disorder if I had to work in a shop nine to five, five days a week. Because I'm only out there for an hour or so. I only have to do that maybe three hours a month. Whereas if I had to have a normal job, quote, normal job, how would I deal with that all the time? Which conversely, it would probably lessen my sense of panic because I'd probably get used to dealing with people a bit more. But I ended up doing what I'm doing and here we are, (laughs) you know, so.
1: So you do, so you do have limited movement in your legs or where are you at now with your, with your physical health?
0: It's kind of taken a backseat for the last month or so, but I'm getting back into it this week. So we're starting up again. Okay. So I've got a lot more spasms. And I I love saying, like, people get really offended when I say the word I'm a spastic, but I literally am in the medical sense. So don't take, like, umbrage to that. But uh, so the spasticity's got, it gets worse as my legs get weaker because my muscles are less able to control it and fight against it.
1: So I know that you had a character, Farmer Michael. Um, yeah. can, tell us a bit about a few of your other characters.
0: Uh, there's James Bernard. He's kind of the wide, like Galway. He he'd be almost like a kind of a Dublin. Do you know what I mean? A kind of scumbag fella. Mm. Then there was there's like uh, Fiacra as well. He's the kind of stereotypical D4 guy.
1: Yeah.
0: I have an American guy. I actually forget his name now because I've only done <laughs> one. It's probably, it's probably uh, the,
1: Brad it's probably Brad or Chad or something
0: Something like that It's very American He wears a camouflage jacket And he's always on about the NRA So yeah he's one of those guys And uh, there's a few more there's, there's there's Father Finnerty as well The priest uh, I like doing him Because you can say he, He'll he give a little half a sermon And then he says something horrible At the end when the camera is supposedly off So I like those little <laughs> cutaway ones Uh, and there's a few more I'm kind of messing with now for the last like few weeks in my head and they'll be they'll be eventually thrown out to the public but they're all you're always going to have people that go like we're still doing that shit character, do a new character you do a new character, why aren't you doing Michael anymore (laughs) you know but
1: I still will be doing Michael obviously you know so steve don't even talk to me that is my that's that's, I mean I I have some experience of doing characters on the radio and stuff like that the, yeah, you just, yeah. You just have to do your own thing because you will just never. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not that you won't never please. Anything. It's not that you won't please all the people all the time. You will never please anybody, so you might as well please yourself. That's that's that yeah. the yeah. You're
0: never going to please anybody, and you're never going to have the opportunity to please anybody if it's in your head. Totally. At least out, who can please three people, and a thousand might hate it. You're <laughs> still pleasing them three people, and you're still, you're still having an effect in their everyday lives.
1: Totally, yeah. So, I mean, Father uh, Farmer Michael was the big one, and yeah, like, or, or it just so. What kind of effect did? When did you start getting to the point where you were like? Did did it start on the phone? Did it start live? And at what point did it started did you, it on the phone? Just yeah. a few phone sketches with my brother in the car,
0: and they kind of exploded almost immediately, and. I remember the day I put up the like a kind of a Conor McGregor stealing my style because people said said I used to I used to I u I looked like Conor McGregor yeah so I looked this fellow because I actually didn't know who he was and I was like right I'm gonna because I wore I used to wear waistcoats and a blazer and like I had a beard and stuff so I said yeah right I have to try on a Dickie Bono and accuse him of stealing my style so that one kind of went viral and then I was later on that the next day I was coming down from Mead with my friend Gary and we dropped into supermax in Galway and people were asking me questions and coming over to me and getting pictures. And I was like, Oh, right. Uh, come on, Gary, we go. I feel really panicky. This is not good. But it was, it was, but it was good at the same time, you know, and then it gets to a stage where you're kind of afraid to go to pubs and clubs because people are trying to snide comments or they'll come up to you uh, roaring at you with their light on from their phone with their mm. camera video recording and stuff and they'd say horrible things and i might have my brother in the car with me that has a learning disability and that shout in like horrible words like f-a-g-g-o-t or you know things like that so wow yeah it takes it takes a while to get used to and it kind of it limits your life but it also enhances en- enhances and expands it yeah
1: um so then from there, you, 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 I presume then you started getting into doing live gigs and it kind of exploded. Yeah, of course. Ex- on stage with very... Johnny Graham. Okay, right. It forced me on stage one day in like Loch
0: Ray or something. And then we ended up doing, that was just Farmer Michael on his own. And then we ended up doing Farmer Michael and Kathleen, which made it easier. And we had done it in a kind of fake interview kind of process where we have two chairs. All we ever want on the stage is two chairs and two mics. We don't do fancy crap let the comedy speak for itself you know there's no need for anything else you know if the two characters are strong enough they will survive on their own for an hour or an hour and a half but we've always held to that and believed that and i've never even introduced any of the other characters characters at all so two mics two chairs kathleen fake interview me asking my opinion on things and obviously we try and Because we've learned from experience We try in some of the more popular sketches Where we reenact Because people used to shout them out Yeah So it was like a band You know Play Whatever Your popular song You know what I mean So Throw two or three of them in like And uh, We obviously then do One or two of the songs as well Just for old time's sake Even though I don't really do The parody songs anymore But just Because They were so well known And so big at the time You have to almost do them You know so
1: and uh, who's Catherine? Who's Kathleen? Sorry.
0: Kathleen is
1: Sinead. And Sinead who's, McGrath. Who's Sinead to you then? Uh, she was my girlfriend. Okay. So we, we might just get on to that. But so, you were, so you're were so gigging away, things are good, uh, you, yourself and Sinead are good, and life is good. Uh, am I right in saying that? Is it like are things just before... Yes, yeah, yes. I suppose a yeah. lot yeah. before... Before what I think Might have been And, and I think you agreed with me uh, Sort of a Defining moment But everything's good You're gigging You're Starting Sinead yeah. uh, Kathleen are Well good.
0: everything was post-
1: postponed Obviously Like So we weren't We weren't gigging okay. But
0: You know We, we kind of took a break From the videos for a while Just kind of Supposed to recharge And recoup And See what we were Will we
1: keep doing it You know why, why are we, why are we thinking that way? Like, was this? Can I just, uh, just ask you exactly? Was this before the lockdown that you stopped doing uh, the videos? It would have been after the lockdown. What, what, what was in your head?
0: Were you sick of it? Uh not really sick of it. I just, I suppose, I felt like that when we weren't gigging, we didn't need to be doing the videos, if that made sense. Which is counter to what we. I should have been doing. I should yeah. have been. videos anyway, you know, because you still need to keep relevant. In modernist social media, you can be forgotten in a few weeks. Yeah, people will always remember me as your man that done the thing, you know, whatever. But you still need to be out there and doing them because like, like every video, like I'll always put out a video and get a certain amount of views. Facebook has drastically cut your views anyway lately, I've noticed. A lot of people have noticed, but it's up on everything else. Like Facebook is always my strongest thing. You get a minimum hundred hundred thousand on every video. Mm. Now it's the other way around. I'd probably get that on Twitter more than I get it on Facebook. Mm. But uh oh well, what the hell was I talking about? So, Lost myself.
1: No, so you were so the reason I was just wondering why when lockdown hit, a lot of people were, like was it what was what, what hit you hardest? Because the gigs stopped. What were you worried? What was what were you worried about? Was it financial? Was it relevant? I wasn't
0: radical? really worried, to be honest. To be honest, I was very selfish and the oh, lockdown was a nice thing for me because of, I could drive across the city in five minutes mm-hmm. yeah. and there was less people around and I could go out for a drive in serenity and peace. So in a selfish way, it was a really nice thing to, be, to have that. I know it affected a lot of people with mental health difficulties in a different way but for me, as an anxious person and didn't like too many people being around it was kind of nice
1: hmm. so you saw it as an opportunity to take a little break and to recharge yeah, yeah. and to ha- have a look at everything and see what you want to do in the future so and do cool. a bit of music as well and write lyrics it's not
0: like I stopped doing anything okay. I was sketching down ideas for sketches and jotting little notes down and throwing little voice notes to myself for, for lyrics for my songs and things so it was. it's not like I wasn't doing anything you know
1: and around this time then you set yourself uh, you decided to set yourself a challenge which was to get 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 yeah go on probably
0: it's probably like a bad kamikaze mission that I ended up surviving yeah I was going to do I got in touch with the Irish Reacher Association well they got in touch with me they wanted me to share something or something and I was thinking to myself now that I'm not doing gigs I could actually do something to hopefully raise money for them so I got in touch I got got back in contact with them and I said, look, I'll do like, I'll do a few kilometers on my exercise bike and we'll do, we'll live stream it. We'll try and raise a bit of money for that. And then I was thinking about that idea for a few days. And then I felt like people deserve more for their money, given the state of the finances of many people across the country. So I said, I need to give them their money's worth. So I said, look, I'll do it on a real bike and I'll do it outside. So that's what I ended up settling on. So, I decided to do it on the west, in the west side running track, and it's it's four hundred meter track. But I thought it was an eight at the beginning, so I was looking down because it's basically across the road from my house, and I was looking at it and I was going, "Yeah, I can do six laps laps of that track easily." And then I read, I googled it and I read that it was a four hundred meter track, and I was like, 12 and a half." Oh bollocks! I have to do twelve and a half laps of that thing. So yeah, uh, my trainer Dara Dara Curly. And myself, we just basically went head on into it and started trying to strengthen up the legs, doing the exercise bike, and eventually got a nice bike, started cycling around my estate, trying to build up the muscle, build up my balance, get used to being on a bike again, and just went head on into it and dogheading this stubbornness into it.
1: Um, and I presume it took a lot out of you. I mean, physically, mentally, was it, did you put your... We we was there half? Did you get to a point halfway through where you're like, what, Why am I doing this? I really don't want to do this. And was it? Just yeah, I thought hour? I'd fail it.
0: Yeah, I literally thought I'd fail it right up until the point I'd done it. Even when I was doing well in the training and stuff, we had the, the furthest I'd gotten was seven laps, and I felt like I was going to collapse and die at that stage. Mm. And I was like, Dara, like it's five and a half more on top of that. Like, I don't know. And then we picked a day, and it was you know, the hottest days of the year we were meant to do it at 12 o'clock so we had to put it off to, until 7 so then we went down at 7 and I was a nervous wreck and I was panicky but we got on the bike we there was loads of locals there shouting me on loads of west side people Gola people no on no no like uh, what would you say no press or anything came out unfortunately for some weird reason but they've always had an issue with me but uh, so yeah it was the locals but they're my people like hmm. they're my Working class people are my people. So they were there and they cheered me on and there was a few iffy moments kind of between it where I kind of my foot was slipping off the pedal and I had to kind of scoot around a bit and the bike was slowing down and it's just, Oh Jesus, just got the foot on the pedal back in time to keep the the motion going forward. So yeah, there's a few iffy bits, and then at one stage then uh Dara said to me, We're on the tenth lap, and then someone came up beh- beside me on a bike and said, No, you're on the ninth. And I was like, Oh God almighty. That was like almost getting shot. It was like, oh no, there's another lap on top of that. So I eventually crossed the finish line without stopping. That Yeah, that was another goal I set myself then. I wanted to do it completely through without taking a break because I thought to myself that taking a break would be worse for me. Mm-hmm. It's just better to get the whole thing done and then you can take a break. And then there's no panic that you have to get back on the bike and continue. So I'd done it and I was delighted and we raised 63 and a half grand, which is incredible. And we had call outs from Ricky Hatton, Seamus Coleman, Tyson Fury, retweets from like Don French and Gary Lineker and Andrew Flintoff and just numerous like celebrities that sent messages and donated and just they all came out. And like, I thought it was very apt that it was Seamus Coleman that got us up to the 60 grand. And if you know about football, you'll know the tune and like he moved from Slager over to Everton for sixty grand. So it was very cool that he done that, that he brought us up to the sixty grand level. So that was that was amazing.
1: And uh Seamus being an Everton player as well, of course. That yeah uh Ireland Captain. The 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 icing on the cake for you. Um and Ireland Captain, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, and because I, I remember at the time I was kind of um, following the fact that you'd taken on this challenge and I mentioned it on Twitter and that was, you know, I was, I was intrigued by you and by what you were doing and, and, um, and it seemed to me that after that you just disappeared.
0: Yeah. I just took a break for a while and okay. I, I unpublished my like Twitter and my Facebook page and, my Facebook profile for a while. I didn't take down my YouTube, but I just kind of, I just needed time to recharge and rethink. And I was in a kind of dark, very dark area where I didn't, I basically didn't want to live anymore. Wow. So. And, and, and do, you,
1: uh, do you think that was because you'd set yourself such a big goal, you'd achieved this? And you, and as you said earlier, you were like, oh, what, there's no game? Yeah,
0: it kind of, it was like I had nothing to live for after that. And I was just, shit. I was
1: unaware of my
0: future and unsure of my future, and I'm sure a lot of people are that be will be listening to this would be the same way about their job when they, you know, mm-hmm. when they had to leave their job for the COVID and stuff like that. What's going to happen? And where am I going next? And will I have a job? Will I? Do I want to go back doing this? You know, am I ready to do this? What does life have for me? Have I got? Is this the pinnacle? Have I got? As much as I'm going to get, mm. you know
1: that kind of way. So, yeah, I was in a
0: character.
1: I don't think I'd ever, I've ever gotten that bad, but I do like having done the breakfast show on Two FM and that finishing, and that was about a year ago. It's you know I've had I've had basically a year of just going, what the, f-? you know, you, you, there are times where you feel like, well, that was the best. Anything after this is surely, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you, but you kind of have to, and and obviously you're you're going through the process. But you then have to go. Well, this is, there's more to life. There's more to this. There's a there's a bigger, you know. You, yeah. You, you Well, there's always a greater pinnacle ahead. Of course.
0: Like I've had so many pinnacles in my career so far that I really kind of looking back. I don't know if you'd say it like that, but I I really shouldn't have had, or that like you're not going to beat this one, or mm. you you know, when you get twenty million views on a video you're like, right, like I'm, that's, that's our 5 million set. You're never going to beat that. Then you get 10 million, then you get 15 million, and then you get 20 million, and then you're at a point like, well, we're never going to beat that. Like, that's not going to be beat. Like, you know, you like 20 million views and your video shown on World Star Hip Hop and like retweeted by like James Corden and stuff. Like, am I going to beat that? Like, how the hell, in the name of God, am I going to beat that? But your next sketch your next sketch could change your life. And I've always said it. It could be as little as something like, I could mention Kim Kardashian in it. She could find it funny. She might watch it, retweet it. Ellen sees it. You're flown over to Hollywood. You know, anything can happen. Your next sketch can literally change your life.
1: And uh, is there, like, what's your, what is your, where you're at now today? What's your idea of success? What do you think is success? I don't really know like I suppose we've we've
0: been like we've been honest about how we've been blatantly ignored by Irish media
1: yes yeah, not Virgin I want to jazz. yeah not I Virgin
0: Media not Virgin Media TV but the other one and we have been blatantly ignored by them because they have heard of us but I think they think, they literally th- must think I'm a with that. I can't speak intelligently without, like, they must think if they get me on some show that I'm going to, like, shout C-U-N-T into a four-year-old's face or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just find it co- too controversial, but I don't even see the characters controversial. Like, the characters the, the character make of fun of Michael, and Michael raises a lot of valid points about certain issues. Mm. Like, there's a lot of satire in some of the videos. Yeah, granted, some of them are just basic toilet humor. But there's a lot of ones with a, a, a deep message in it, especially the ones We've done about abortion, black lives uh, Gay rights Disability rights Etc, 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 and on and on You know, so there is there is subtleties there And things Michael would say under his breath But you try to hit two audiences You try to hit the people that will laugh at it Superficially because of what I say But you also try to hit the people that will understand The message I'm trying to get across But that seems to be, it's almost like the kind of elite and the powers that be in, a, in certain areas of Irish media don't see that or don't care to see that or don't want to be involved in that. They'd rather, like, me get a guitar and sing a happy song or something.
1: Yeah.
0: But yes, counter to that, then they'll have Tommy Ternan on telling controversial jokes. But, or they'll drag on the same comedians week in, week out. And you know yourself on the Night Late Show. The same people. It's it's basically speed dial to Richards. Who do you have? trauma You know, there's no there's no searching for something like someone that was uh, closely involved in RT said to me, if Gay burn was still hosting the Late Late Show, you'd have been on four or five times already.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right. Yeah. I mean, do you?
0: But then, but then, but, but, as, but then, you... as I started, we have bigger goals now. The bigger goals is Channel Four, Channel you know Channel 5 BBC we've been on a lot of things in BBC on the radio over like it's amazing England is amazing in, one, in, a, in that way like any place I'm going to if I'm doing a gig in Southampton for example or Liverpool obviously where we, we have our biggest audience but Southampton or Manchester or something I will always I'll always ask our fans does anyone want anyone in media and blah 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 and they'll start tweeting me back and message me and tweeting people in the message and then I get a message from like BBC Southampton and they'll have us on the radio show that is non-existent in Ireland. I couldn't tag some show in Ireland and be on it the next morning or that evening. You, that doesn't exist. There is, no, there is no way to make contact and they, like, they'll literally ignore you and they'll ignore if you email or anything like that. So I stopped doing that about four years ago. I was like, they don't care. They're not, they don't want us. So then we won't have them. Or we, they won't have us. Yeah. And we we'll, we'll break the UK, which we've done massively successfully. Like I'd say without exaggeration, myself and another comedian, Martin Beans Ward, he's a traveller and I'm disabled obviously. So we, we have that kind of thing where we, we feel like we've been pushed to the sides and pushed to the outskirts.
1: Yeah. You're and we outcast. were talking
0: about it when he said he said like in like before this COVID hit, he said to me, like you've probably been the top seller ticket wise in Ireland under Tommy Tiernan. That there's probably no one that has outsold me. But yet we're we're never heard of. In traditional media. And he he also said. uh, To that as well. He goes. And think about it this way Steve. He said. Your ticket sales. In England. Were probably the highest. For any non-TV comedian in the UK. And he was probably right in that as well. And I was like. Jesus Christ you're probably right. Which kind of. It was almost a slap to me. It was like, wow, that's an achievement. Like, I should be very proud of that. For, and from not being double, Dublin-centric or a Dublin-based comedian, being a of Ireland galway comedian, to be probably the top-selling non-TV or non-radio comedian in the UK. So that, like, I should have that on a plaque on my wall. You know? so, it's yeah. like, so it's kind of like, it's a nice thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's nice to be told those things sometimes. You know, you really need to hear that from someone else's mouth and go, yeah, my God, like, you know, and you kind of, you feel a sense of pride, which I don't sometimes feel about what I do because I'm made not to feel proud about it. I'm made to feel like it's the idiot in the car that just shouts and he doesn't, he doesn't make anyone laugh or he doesn't make a difference in anyone's lives. And I know that from the personal messages I get on emails that I do, you know, so, but when you're constantly ignored it's very hard to you know you get in touch with certain stations in ireland and that's just, there's just nothing no no you don't you're you're not with these crowd or you're not with them or our producer on the late late show is not with you, so we won't get you on four times but we'll get the other people on it's it's all who you know and we know that it's nepotistic ireland you know we know that we and like people say, maybe if you stop talking about it, they might have you. And my answer to that is, go fuck yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I'd say in in <laughs> to, to answer to, well, I'm not going to disagree with you at all, but I don't know how I ended up on The Breakfast Show on 2FM because, I mean, I would have thought that 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 was, I, I don't know how that ha- happened, but it did. And I, I, yeah. I suppose part of me is like, well, i got seven years. Uh, yeah. and and I'm leaving now, and they don't want me anymore. So that's cool. I'll go. And but but the thing that you have to realise is that, and you and you, you can get bogged down in well, it's them against us or their other. Or yeah. you, can't oh, can, yeah. you can't get. you can't. get in there. And and I think and I and this is what I say to bands or and a, and, a, and a, you don't need me to tell you that you don't need them. And in yeah. fact, and yeah. in fact, and in fact, people well, have
0: said that so many times. Look, Steve, you've bypassed that. You done like... you done a video sketch in your car, and you were doing a Vicker Street show within a year. Mm. Like, get get a grip. You know what I mean. You've bypassed the traditional comedy circuit completely, and you've done a bypassed traditional TV completely, and you've sold out shows all over the country. But still, it's nice. It's a, it's almost a completion yeah. to oneself, to be accepted. Like I'm a comedian. I crave acceptance. This is why I do this. I am lacking inside. I crave to make people laugh because I can't feel that joy myself. So if I can create that joy. So obviously the whole basis and ethos of what I do is craving acceptance. And when you're not accepted and when you're pilloried, it it literally hurts and it emotionally, physically hurts. Mm. You know, my dad and my brother were sitting there when I was on the TV, uh, when I was on the six o'clock show. And to my dad, that was, I'm now officially famous quote, you know, because I'm on TV. You know, so it's almost that kind of thing. You, you you almost, you crave to be, you crave to have, crack social media, crack the live shows, but you also want to crack everything else. you want to crack traditional media too.
1: Yeah, and I know it, it is, it is something that plays in your mind because you're like, Why, what's the problem? Why have you got a problem here? You know, and you yeah, try, and, yeah. try and figure it out. There is no figuring it out, Steve, don't even worry about it. It doesn't, it's not something that can be figured out. It's just, yeah. Well, like I said, bypass them and totally, totally, and and you will crack and, and Britain uh, more crack Britain more become more successful
0: in Britain. Try and get a sketch show. It if not a sketch show, try and get some some kind of show. Then when they want you back, which they inevitably will, when you're big over there, because we still we still have that uh, that that we're under the English uh, in uh, what's the word like like if oh. If the English find him funny, then he must be.
1: He must be then, funny if the English like it, yeah, yeah. Then
0: we'll accept him, yeah, because we're still, we still have that mindset and then, like I said to Sinead many times, then you can say to them, fuck off, my fee is 50 grand.
1: <laughs> the, um, the, look, I mean, as I said, that's, my,
0: that's your... me sealed, isn't it? I'm never getting on Irish TV again. That's me
1: sealed. That's, ah, fuck it, I don't care at this no, stage. No, it doesn't God, matter. It really doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It just, it's, 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 it's i don't know what it is i don't know what the secret formula is and and i'd say even if you were to say it to tommy tiern he doesn't know it's either it's to
0: be pc it's to be pc
1: i don't know if it's that either like i mean and and i'm not even sticking up for them i'm just saying it's 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 like some sort of magical
0: they don't want to they they won't go with someone new if they're controversial but they'll have controversial comedians on that have tried and tested they don't want to give a new person, an opportunity if they're controversial.
1: They might give you an opportunity, but in a, like they would have they had, like Blind Boy was on, but he was talking about the meaning of life with Joe. So it was a very specific yeah, thing. Yeah. I'm not sure they're going to give well, him his own
0: the, show. The IWA were trying to get me on because I'm I they wanted me to be their spokesman talking about Irish Wheelchair Association and about disability in Ireland. Because I always say, and it's one of my, my favorite quotes from myself, that like, uh, it's one of the only minorities being disabled. It's only one of the minority, only minorities that you can become a member of at any second.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Car crash, bang, you're a, you're a disabled. You're a minority. You're a member of a minority.
1: And, and saying- the 17% of
0: people in Ireland are disabled. And where are they? Where are they to be seen? We still, we've moved along where we hide disabled people, but we still don't see them that much. We see them more, and I love that. I absolutely adore that. But we need to see them more. And we need to see people that are not, that are not, we need to see people that, we need to break that horrible stereotype of old people being disabled or that if young people are disabled, they're sheepish and they're coy and they're hat doffing. Mm -hmm. You know,
1: I want to break that. I want to be,
0: I want to be a loud, rude, uh, just a person that curses and is in a wheelchair because what is wrong with that? What is, why does that jar with society? You know, because I don't fit that category of being sheepish. And people don't like that. People don't know how to approach you with that if you're loud and in a wheelchair. Because why is he loud in a wheelchair? He's in a wheelchair. You know, it's it's almost that kind of... And then when I get out and walk on crutches, then I'm in that netherworld. It's like, but I thought you were in a wheelchair. Yes, I use a wheelchair. I'm a part-time wheelchair user. Because they always... They have it in their head that if you use a wheelchair, you must be confined to a wheelchair.
1: Um, so, let me just to kind of wrap it up.
0: Yeah, and I blabbered on there for a while. No, no, Steve, that was
1: all perfect. That was lovely. It was lovely to listen to you. I could I could talk to you and listen to you all day, but I, uh, we both get tired and probably fall asleep and have, have yeah, yeah, listen to each other and, and need a nap. But yeah. Now I find it fascinating. Where are you at now? Like, Because I'm only going to mention this because you mentioned it on your social media that yourself and, and your girlfriend, did you take a break or what, what happened? And what, uh, did, un, unfortunately, we just decided that it kind of had run its course and
0: I'm still not too up to date and what exactly happened, but that's the decisions she made and I have to live with that. And Okay. There's no there's no ill feeling or anything. Just that that was the decision that was made and unfortunately I have to go on from here and try and live my life and that's that's life. It can be a cruel mistress, a very
1: cruel mistress. Um you're in a better place today? I would
0: say so, yeah. I don't think I'll be over this for a long, long, long time, but I'm in a better place than I was, say, a month
1: ago man and you are working on new material and there's stuff coming down yeah. the line that we can look forward to and your fans can look forward to yeah absolutely there will always be there will always be new stuff
0: as long as i'm breathing
1: uh well we wanted to keep breathing for a long time steve that's the thing uh, for a
0: while anyway. i've asthma so i don't breathe well in the first place but oh, I, I i'll wheeze on for another one <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: well look at all the best for the future and and everything you do. Thank you so much, man. Was, I appreciate it. It was great. Time. I just, I mean, look, the people I'm trying to talk to, are, I just want, I want people that will have an honest conversation. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, to be honest with you, that's what I think is lacking. And and I know you spoke about RTE. We're not here to RTE bash or anything, but there is a, there seems to be an issue with with people who are just just being honest. And yeah. You yeah, know, it's okay to be honest if you're a certain type of person, or if you're being honest about certain things. Some honesty, yeah, yeah. Some honesty yeah. is uncomfortable, and some honesty is acceptable. Yeah. I think it just jars with
0: some people, and they don't want to hear it. And it's just so it's
1: left, it's left, it's left into the void. Yeah,
0: it's left well, unheard and upset. Well, and I think it's
1: it's great just to hear, uh, especially a man, uh, just being honest about his feelings and, and and what he's gone through and all that kind of stuff. And it was a pleasure talking to you, and really appreciate you. An absolute pleasure. And thank you so much. Keep up the good work.
0: Thank you so much, Keith. I appreciate
1: it, man. I'll be in touch. Talk soon, bud. Bye, Thanks, bye, bye. Oh, Good luck. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, bye. Yeah, there you have it. Sir Steve-O Timothy there. Uh, very honest, very raw, very vulnerable. Um, really a nice chap. Um, and it was great to talk to him. Really enjoyed it. And just as i said great for uh another man to be talking about what he's dealing with in life and the ups and downs and the honesty of it so thank you very much for your time steve-o and uh, i appreciate this is a tough time for you um so you know you didn't have to do that you didn't have to do the the chat you certainly didn't have to allow me to put it out and um i i really hope that you get to do what you want to do um i was going to say that we get to see you again soon but I hope that you find the thing that you want to do and do that, whatever it is, whether we see you or not. And uh, you're a very brave man, and I have a lot of admiration for you. So that's it. That's it for episode four. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, the email address is keithwalchpod at gmail.com. You can email me anytime. Uh, any suggestions for who we might talk to? Any complaints? Any agony ant style letters? If you need help, get in touch. Um, any questions? anything at all we'd love to hear from you and i'd love to read out your correspondence as well uh, on the podcast so there you go um we'll see you soon mind yourself mind how you go goodbye definitely gonna wrap this one up real quick no no messing at the end of it just straight out gone just say goodbye just say goodbye say goodbye and then stop goodbye see that was easy just say goodbye and then you stopped